Good morning. <laughs> the title of this morning's message is Searching for Doctrines of Grace. This morning we're going to look at several different doctrines of grace and how these different doctrines affect our faith in Christ. Those doctrines are known as sovereign grace, free grace, also known as hyper grace, radical grace, triumphant grace, <laughs> all kinds of grace, and inclusionism. Years ago, when the Lord first began to lead me into a fuller understanding of God's grace, it was through the ministry of Joseph Prince. I was what you would call a word of faith girl, a charismatic. And like a lot of charismatics, I was always looking for the next new truth, the next new revelation, the next new most anointed speaker. <laughs> I was always hungry for truth, but I was never satisfied for very long, even when I found it. That holy discontent always came back. And so I kept looking for it, the it that would satisfy. I didn't know what the it was, <laughs> but somehow I knew I would recognize the it when I found it. My holy discontent began to change when the Holy Spirit began to stir inside of me, bearing witness time and time again regarding this message of God's extravagant grace. At first, I couldn't swallow everything Joseph Prince ministered about our security in Christ. But I knew there was something in what he said that made me hungry for more of that truth. The spiritual rest that he taught about, the complete focus on Jesus that he taught about, spoke so loudly to my spirit, even though my head could not embrace everything I heard with my ears. So I began wrestling. <laughs> I began wrestling with this message of God's extravagant grace over and over and over and over. Lord, show me the truth. Lord, help me to get it. Lord, help me to understand it. And of course, he did. But it wouldn't be too long, and I'd be saying to the Lord again, show me again. It was like grace was slippery. <laughs> I just couldn't get it to stay in my brain. <laughs> I would have a hard time holding on to the reality of this magnificent grace. There was so much in my brain that was contrary to truth. I had been successfully indoctrinated to believe in the possibility of losing my salvation, or at least my acceptance with God. Now, to be indoctrinated means to accept beliefs or principles uncritically or without any scrutiny. In other words, I simply believed what someone else taught me was true. And the truth is, a great majority of Christians do the exact same thing. They simply trust their teachers and their preachers. And unfortunately, in the olden days, they were often told that this church is the only church with the complete truth. And if you go to a different church, they will deceive you and you will lose your salvation. They would scare people into not looking deeper into the scriptures. And they would scare people to keep them away from those unusual churches. <laughs> I never believed my church was the only church with the truth. I didn't come to the saving knowledge of Christ until I was an adult. I accepted Christ at 10, but I wasn't churched. I didn't know I was a Christian. <laughs> I didn't know what I had done was called being saved. And so I lived like I didn't know. <laughs> and then when I became around 21, I had my eyes open to the saving knowledge of Christ. What had happened to me, I began to go, oh, <laughs> You've been in there the whole time. <laughs> in my mind, it didn't make any sense to me that there could be so many people who believe in Jesus Christ, and yet only one church had the truth. That didn't seem to make sense to me. So I always had questions. <laughs> I always wanted to know, what does that word mean? And how does it apply here? And I want to understand God's word. Thankfully, all my taking the questions to the Lord, God, in his faithfulness, led me, even beyond what my church taught me. 
my church was a holiness church, and they believed in being spirit-filled. They did not believe in speaking in tongues. So I was initially taught speaking in tongues was demonic, and you stay away from those people. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit said, wrong. <laughs> That's not what we find in the scripture. <laughs> and that was one of the things my holiness church taught me. That's probably why God put me there. Because they taught me, above all else, you love. Above all else is the word of God. And above all else, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, if you have those things, it really doesn't matter what kind of doctrines <laughs> you hear, because you go to the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth, who will tell you and show you and be able to impart it to you in a way that you can say, oh, okay, I understand now. They see it this way. But Father, you see it this way. And, of course, because my church was so emphatic about walking in love, I didn't go around throwing other churches under the bus, so to speak. We often hear people say, we should just stay away from doctrine and only focus on Jesus. In one sense, that's correct. <laughs> in the sense that Jesus is the only way to salvation. We can debate about our theologies and our doctrines. I'm going to do that today. So that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with understanding how other people, other believers, see the scripture. Sometimes it helps us to understand them. I do have a partial doctrine that I like, <laughs> and I'm going to share it with you. But what I found is when I went looking for more grace, when I went looking for how do I understand that he will never leave me and never forsake me? How do I take that and put it in the scripture and how can I see it in the scripture? And of course, that's what we do at Triumphant Grace. We keep showing you, no, you are secure. You can trust your heavenly father. You can trust the presence of God inside of you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never cast you out, period. That's free grace. So when I went looking for grace, I looked for books, I looked for commentaries, I looked for internet sites, I looked everywhere for this wonderful grace that I wanted to learn so much more about. And of course, what I found was a plethora of different viewpoints, even when you try to take the Bible and smush it down to one concept. In one concept, there is a plethora of viewpoints. So I put them into three basic categories. <laughs> the three basic categories I term sovereign grace, free grace, and inclusionism. Free grace is actually a theological slot, if you will, that those of us who believe in free grace and all the various flavors of free grace fit into that slot. So when I went looking for material on what I would categorize as free grace, I found that, that the majority of available material was all based on the teachings of John Calvin. John Calvin viewed all of scripture from a sovereignty point of view. Now, I am using generalities. No two churches are exactly the same, period. <laughs> if we started another triumphant grace, it would not be the same as this church. Every church takes on its own personality because of the teaching and revelation of the person who teaches and preaches. A few years ago, I met another free grace minister who is also a woman, and we were talking. It turns out she is formerly a Nazarene. That's what I was. I was a Nazarene. And so the Nazarene tradition and theology falls into what we would call the holiness tradition of theology. So we're sharing our different experiences under our Nazarene traditions. And she said that her Nazarene church was all about healing. Uh, what? <laughs> what kind of Nazarene church did you go to? <laughs> you see, her pastor thought everyone should be healed. So he preached a lot on healing. And a lot of people got healed because hearing produces faith. Hearing the word of God and the truth of God's word produces faith. So his Nazarenes, they were getting healed because healing is part of salvation. So where they were all getting healed, we were told, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. If he deems it, then you will. If you're not healed, it's God's will. And I'm like, wait a minute, these are the same denomination. Shouldn't this church over here be preaching the same as this church over here? What was the difference? 
her pastor had a personal revelation beyond what he was taught. Her pastor had received healing. Her pastor had studied healing according to the new covenant. Her pastor had done things my pastors didn't do. Usually, in one of these slots, if you will, categories, sovereign grace, free grace, and inclusionism, we have an underlying foundation. Now, you would think that foundation would be Jesus. I have to tell you, that is true. All of these slots preach Jesus, okay? But they usually have an underlying foundation that you can hear through any message they preach. And that's one of the reasons I'm bringing this forth, because we need to learn what we hear when we hear somebody minister. We have to listen by the Holy Spirit and not necessarily by what we were taught. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. But some people are happy with their categories. For the longest time, I was happy being a Nazarene. <laughs> I didn't care if I spoke in tongues or not. I asked for it. I had heard it preached. But I listened to a whole bunch of different ministers my whole Christian life. I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for truth. Do you have truth? Do you have truth? Do you? Okay. You know what? If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian denomination, you have truth. But you also have viewpoints. And so my church's viewpoint was healing was not in the atonement. It wasn't actually provided for you, and you really don't have a right to believe for it. You just kind of hope. <laughs> so we didn't see a lot of people get healed because <laughs> we didn't have faith for healing. Now, I am going to go through these three different categories, and I'm telling you this because I am just going to hit the basics. All of these doctrines could be taught at length. In fact, most <laughs> of our commentaries that are available today are written from the Sovereign Grace point of view. Like I said, we're going to look at those who call themselves Sovereign Grace first. Now, I found this online at compellingtruth.com. Sovereign grace is also known as irresistible grace. It is the teaching that God's grace will eventually save every person who God has sovereignly appointed for salvation, regardless of his or her resistance to the gospel message. This doctrine is often associated with Calvinism or Reformed theology, though it is not limited to those theological systems. In other words, these systems of thought believe that God in his sovereignty chooses who will and who will not be saved, regardless of how these people believe or don't believe. John Calvin believed that the human involved with God really had no choice in the matter. If they were chosen, they would come to faith in Christ, period. Now, I've never actually heard any minister preach this, but one theologian actually believes that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and still not go to heaven because you're not chosen. That one I thought was odd. <laughs> Jesus is salvation. How can you receive Jesus and not be chosen? Jesus is the chosen and everyone in him is chosen. <laughs> That's how it works. The majority of believers in the entire world, 50% are Catholic. The other 50%, 40% of those are what you would call Reformed theology, Baptist, Presbyterian, etc. Okay, and then the little tiny 10% left, that's everybody else. So the majority of the world has this sovereignty concept. In fact, you hear it almost in every church. God is in control. Is he? Is God making you do stuff? <laughs> Has God ever made you do stuff? No, he presses it upon your heart. And if you agree with him, you do what he asks you to do. But God never forces people to do things. In this concept of the sovereignty of God, sovereignty is a good word. Sovereignty means the one who is supreme in power and authority. Is God supreme in power and authority? Absolutely. But what the sovereign grace community believes is that God is in control. Why? Because they believe God is choosing who will and will not be saved. Now, there are, like I say, there are divisions among this 40% of 
uh, Reformed theology, there are divisions. They don't have a hierarchy that demands that they teach a certain way. In the Catholic Church, usually all Catholics get the same message. In the Lutheran Church, they all get the same message on the same, it's ordained what they should preach. The Baptists don't do that. They have Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit and they teach out of the Word of God from their perspective of sovereignty. I am not a proponent for that particular doctrine. Yes, they are all saved. John Calvin is a man. And he said, this is how I view scripture. This is how I understand it. And it would be good for you to understand it this way too. That's all these teachings are. They are man's point of view, trying to help his fellow man understand the Bible. They have an acronym that they use to teach their parishioners. That word is TULIP. <laughs> the T stands for total depravity. Most every Christian denomination understands that man is fallen. But the sovereign grace community embraced the concept that man has no ability to seek for God, that he is so awful <laughs> that he cannot even go seeking for God. He has no desire. I agree that man is helpless to save himself and that he needs the Holy Spirit to open his eyes and his understanding so that he can receive Christ. So I can agree to a point. Yes, man is depraved. Yes, he is fallen. Yes, he can't save himself. Yes, he needs the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I don't necessarily agree that man is so awful he would never seek for God. I understand the difference. The U stands for unconditional election. This is the concept. God, in his sovereignty, chooses who is to be saved and who is to be damned. There is no such thing as free will. There are Reformed theologists who say, nope, <laughs> we don't see that in Scripture. We believe in free will. Because of this unconditional election, the next letter is limited atonement. In other words, they say Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all, but only efficacious for those who are chosen. In other words, what I've heard most Reformed theologists say is Jesus really only died for the elect, that his sins didn't pay for everybody's sins because they didn't get saved, and they're not chosen. So there's only limited atonement instead of universal atonement, which really means they don't believe that God actually reconciled the whole world unto himself. He only reconciled those he has chosen. And then the I is for irresistible grace, and it stands for the inability for the chosen to refuse God's will and grace. In other words, they don't get to choose for themselves. God ordains, you will be saved, you will come to Christ, and you won't. You will, and you won't. God chooses. Because God chooses, you can't resist God. That in itself has a problem. You ever resist God? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we always resist God. God says, do this. You go, I will later. <laughs> That's resisting God. <laughs> uh, and so the idea of irresistible grace really can be very confusing because we can and people do resist God's grace. And then the last uh, letter is P, and it stands for the perseverance of the saints. And again, I got this from a Reformed Theology website. And this is how they explained it. God's ability to grant grace to sustain believers in their earthly life of faith. I would say, absolutely, yes. But see, there is more to it <laughs> when you start reading Reformed theology. Reformed theology says, once saved, always saved. Yep, yes and amen. I believe in the eternalness of my salvation. I am one spirit with an eternal spirit. <laughs> I am never going to be torn apart from him. Nothing can separate me from him and his love. So even though they do tell their parishioners, you, once you're saved, you're always saved. And that's a good thing. But Calvinist teaching usually says that if you commit a grievous sin or appear to walk away from God, then you were never saved to begin with. So they place a great emphasis on proving your salvation through works. These teachings are, in some degree, within what we would call Baptist or Presbyterian uh, Reformed theology. Now, let me tell you, I have read some awesome sermons from Baptists, 
and Presbyterians. I love Horatio Monar. He is a Presbyterian minister, and he wrote, I think, in the 1800s. They understand grace. They understand grace, but then they marry that grace to works as proof of your salvation. What I want you to see in this particular stream of thought is that it takes away a human being's ability to choose for himself whether or not he wants to have a relationship with God. Most Reformed theology, this is their tenets. And they can preach wonderful messages about grace, wonderful messages about God's uh, amazing love and forgiveness. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. <laughs> but when we read, when we recognize that most available commentaries are written on, with this in mind. There are some that will be called Armenian, which means that's your basic charismatic. And Armenian usually believes in being spirit-filled, and they usually believe you can lose your salvation. And so what I have found in trying to find material to best understand what I call free grace is I find people all along the spectrum, radical Baptists, who come into the message of free grace. They begin to believe, I really am safe. I don't have to constantly work to prove my salvation. And they find rest. And then you have the charismatics. They're already spirit-filled, but they live in terror, usually, I did, of failing God, being kicked out, <laughs> being cast out because you're not doing it right, you're not doing it good, you're failing God, and always living in fear. So it doesn't matter which camp, Reformed theology, Armenian theology, they both end up with fear as the motivator of their life. Again, no two churches are the same, no two pastors are the same. This is generally speaking. So I did begin to find that I could take some of the Reformed theology and some of the Armenian theology and then mix them together and come together in the middle and find free grace. <laughs> but it takes some doing. Just so you know, I do. I read Baptist theology. I read Armenian theology because these scholars have studied the Word of God far longer than me. And then I have to take what I'm reading and bring it to God and say, show me how to interpret this through the lens of, of your grace. One of the things that is available to everybody who likes to study the Word of God is Andrew Womack has an online commentary free for your use. He is one of the ones that would fall into the category of free grace. He actually believes that when you get saved, you're actually saved, period. <laughs> the second doctrine of grace is, is what I call free grace. It is a category that theologians came up with as to separate them from what is called lordship theology. Lordship theology used to scare the bejeebies out of me because well-meaning brothers and sisters in the Lord would say, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then Jesus isn't Lord at all, which meant you're not really saved if you're messing up. <laughs> He's not really your Lord if he isn't giving you directions to everything you do, and you're not walking the chalk perfectly. And they would go on to explain that that is exactly what that means. That is included in the what we would call Reformed theology. It is out of those teachings that this lordship idea came into being. Also, <laughs> the charismatics love lordship. <laughs> theology because they're always scaring their people into walking the chalk. If you don't keep yourself saved, you're going to lose it. I used to tell people salvation is a living gift. If you forget to water it, it will die. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> Jesus is salvation. <laughs> Jesus alone is salvation. Uh, he doesn't need me to water him. <laughs> One of the reasons that I'm teaching this today is because Mark and I do get a lot of questions via the internet about where do I find information? Who teaches this kind of theology? Because it's hard to find. And so when I went looking for grace, free grace, this is what I found. Mostly Reformed theology and Charismatic theology. And so 
it was hard to actually know where to go looking and what to type in to get there. <laughs> and so we get a lot of questions. What is free grace? Where can I find resources from them? The other point I want to make is that no two preachers are alike. No two churches are alike. You may say, I was raised Presbyterian. That's not what I was taught. Praise God. <laughs> I was a charismatic. That's not what my pastor taught. Praise God. These are generalities. And if you go looking for material that says they're just charismatic, they will emphasize you got to walk the talk. <laughs> if you go looking for material in Reformed theology, you're going to get God chooses. You don't. Those are the basic underlying themes. An example of this, one of the people Mark and I like to listen to on the way home is a wonderful minister called Andrew Farley. When he teaches grace, which is mostly what he does, he teaches free grace. But it breaks our heart when somebody asks him about being filled with the Spirit. Because he says, oh, no, no, no. You got the Holy Spirit. You don't need any more than that. There's no more. Speaking in tongues, no. Those crazy charismatics rolling on the floor, that's all nonsense. So in one ministry, you can have wonderful theology about free grace and terrible theology about the Holy Spirit and the gifts. So do we stop listening to him because we don't like some of the things he says? No. He is so dominant on free grace that we enjoy listening to him. He is a really good teacher when it comes to grace. So teachers can vary from a mix <laughs> of these theologies. The truth is we all come up with our own theology, whether we know it or not. We pick and choose like a buffet. We really do. If we hear something, we go, that doesn't seem right. Then we go looking for an answer that does seem right. And so we end up picking what we believe to be the truth. My point is that between these three categories, there is an overlap. Ministries that we most closely identify with that are available on television would be Joseph Prince, Andrew Womack, Preflo Dollar, and Lawson Purdue. Those are the only ones that I know of. What is available online include Paul White, Arthur Minchez, Peter Swart, Rob Rufus, Connie Witter, Paul Ellis, Trisha Gunn, and Bertie Britz. They all fall into the free grace category. That doesn't mean they all teach exactly the same thing. About free grace, yes. About other points of view, it could be different. So now when I say free grace, I was looking for a good definition, and I found one on Wikipedia. And it says that free grace theology is distinguished by its doctrine of salvation. Its advocates believe that God justifies or declares innocent the sinner on the sole condition of faith in Christ, not righteous living. Their definition of faith involves belief, trust, and conviction that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Faith is being convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. Good works do not play a role in being delivered from hell. In other words, Jesus graciously provides eternal salvation as a free gift to those who believe in him, period. That's a really good definition of what I call free grace. That is our foundation. We believe that salvation has been provided for every human being, not just some, but is accessed by faith alone. Our good works do not add to our salvation, and our imperfect works do not detract from our salvation. We believe that the moment we apprehended by faith the, the free gift of salvation, which is Jesus, we are forever saved. We become one spirit with the eternal God, and he is the one who keeps us saved. We are in him, and whatever he is, we can participate in that reality. We are completely changed in our spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Probably everybody here could quote it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Where does salvation happen in a human being? It happens in our spirit. In our spirit, all the old is gone. <laughs> I love that. God took out or killed off our old man. We have truly been crucified with Christ, and we are risen and ascended in Christ to the right hand of the Father in the spirit.
someday that will become a physical reality. But right now that is the spiritual reality. And this is all accomplished when we hear the gospel, choose to believe the gospel, and receive Christ. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, he said this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own, the Jewish people, did not receive him. All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Every human being belongs to God. He is their creator. But not every human being is a child of God. There is a difference. And in this day of grace, sometimes the lines get blurry, and people want to say, everybody gets saved because everybody is a child of God. Not true. Scripture clearly says to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If God gives light to everyone, and this is a problem for some people, what about people in China who never heard? God gives light to everyone. That's what the scripture says. Just because we don't know how they're getting the light, doesn't mean they're not getting the light. There are tons of testimonies coming out of the Middle East. Why? Because Jesus is showing up in people's dreams. Just because we can't see that they're getting the light doesn't mean they didn't have the light. That's important. God says he gives light to everyone. In Romans 1 verses 19 through 21 says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Who? People. <laughs> what people? All people. <laughs> because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Lots of people don't like this verse. They want everybody to be saved. God says not everyone will be saved, but everybody has light. Everybody has the right to know that God is real and that God loves them. But not everybody likes that message. <laughs> Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Scripture clearly says every man has been given light, and if their hearts are darkened, it is because they are the ones who turned out the light, not God. God would not offer humanity a salvation that was not actually available to them. This is one of the problems that sovereign grace people have. They have to preach to everybody. They have to offer salvation to everybody because they don't know who is elect. So they're actually offering to people in their own understanding people who cannot have what they're offering. That doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> that doesn't seem like the God that I know. So we do not believe that God is in control, making certain people receive him and preventing other people from receiving him. However, we do believe that he is supreme in power and authority over all of creation. Because that's what the word sovereign means, supreme in power and authority. But clearly, God gave humanity the freedom to choose. Period. God gave Adam and Eve the option of eating from all of the trees in the Garden of Eden, but told them that it would not be wise to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if they did, it would bring forth death in them. They had to choose to eat of the wrong tree. They had to choose if they wanted to believe and trust God. Love and trust cannot be forced. It must be chosen. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, God told the Israelites that they had to choose what they wanted. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Hint, hint. Choose life. You'll like it a lot better. Choose life that both you and thy seed shall live. 
that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey. And the word obey in the Hebrew is always to listen attentively. That thou mayest obey or listen attentively for his voice. You see, they didn't have Bibles in their house. <laughs> they didn't stop and have devotions the way we do and, and hear God. But they could hear God. All of the people we read about in the Old Covenant heard God. Hearing God was not something they could not have. God gives every man light. That thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and length of days. That thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give him. And I love this because he's talking about a different covenant. He's talking about the covenant he made with Abraham. He says, let's call on that covenant. Let's call on that covenant of grace even though what you're living in is a covenant of works. Obviously, God is not forcing anyone to choose him. They each get to choose for themselves how they want to live. And God has not changed. He's not interested in taking away our freedom to choose. But God tells them what the result of not choosing to live listening to his voice will do. It is living under the power of the curse. Choosing God is choosing life. Choosing anything other than the one and only true and living God is choosing death. So we believe that God is sovereign. He is sovereign in power and authority. And in that sovereignty, he has given all mankind the freedom to choose for themselves if they want life or if they want death. And we don't believe that that changed at the cross. Now, this is important to understand as we come to this last doctrine of grace. It's called inclusionism. Paul Ellis, on his website, Escape to Reality, defines inclusionism as the teaching that Jesus died not as one of us, but as all of us, and that humanity was included in his resurrection and ascension. Now, that sounds like free grace, <laughs> but there is a difference, and that's why I wanted to talk about inclusionism. It sounds like free grace, but it goes on. Since all are in Christ, Everybody is now reconciled, justified, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit, whether they believe it or not. This teaching is becoming very, very popular. We used to call it universalism. <laughs> we had uh, someone contact us via Facebook, and they asked, are you an inclusionist? And so we answered, that's universalism. They got mad at us. No, it's not. Well, how do you define it then? Universalism is, doesn't matter what God you have, everybody goes to heaven. Inclusionism is, because of Jesus, everybody goes to heaven. And you think those two things are different. <laughs> those two things are not different. This idea of inclusionism is universalism with a mustache. <laughs> I'm not really universalism. Yes, you are. <laughs> Now, this is particularly dangerous, just like universalism. Telling somebody everybody goes to heaven, doesn't matter what you believe, is a big fat lie. It takes away their ability to choose for themselves. God says everybody has light. Everybody gets to choose life or death. He isn't going to take away our ability to choose. Now, scripturally, I don't even see how this group of believers can preach what they do. They really have to twist it to make it say what they want, it, they want to believe that it says. And what is interesting is they started out as free grace. And they said, God's grace is so free. Oh, this is wonderful. Everybody gets to have it. <laughs> you can. You can have it. But you have to believe. You have to choose. Paul Ellis says it this way. Universalism says, in the end, everybody is saved. Inclusionism says, no, right now, everybody is saved. They tell people who don't know Christ that Christ lives in them. They tell people without the Holy Spirit that they actually do have the Holy Spirit. And it's because they hear what they think is free grace. God will never leave me nor forsake me. He really will keep me saved. <laughs> They hear that part, but then they start to ignore the everybody is saved right now part, which is in no way scriptural. What they tell people 
is that Jesus did everything that was needed to purchase their salvation. Absolutely true. But then they add that Jesus believed God on our behalf as well. And we don't need to put our faith in the blood of Jesus because Jesus already did that for us, which is not true. Again, they want to take away the ability to choose. When I was thinking about presenting this message, I knew that it would lead to inclusionism. And I was kind of wavering on whether or not I should do this because I think you all know the truth. <laughs> you don't need to know about this crazy stuff, but this the crazy stuff is growing. So when you ask somebody if they're born again, they may tell you they are when they're actually not. Salvation is God in us, not believing a certain doctrine about God. So I was going back and forth and back and forth. I thought, Lord, our church doesn't need this. <laughs> but, God, but God said, yeah, but how many people are listening who do need this? They need to know if they're going to go looking for free grace, what are they going to find? How do they distinguish between what is sovereignty grace, what is free grace, and what is inclusionism? So I want you to know, first of all, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but we should be able to go to our Bible and by the Holy Spirit determine if what we're believing is true or not. And inclusionism does not line up with the Bible. So when you ask them even if they're born again, they can give you a wrong answer. So we then assume they should know <laughs> if they're saved or not. <laughs> but they have a wrong interpretation of the word saved. Many believers would like to believe that no one will end up separated from God for eternity. Even I have said, God, isn't there a way? <laughs> isn't there a way to get everybody there? <laughs> See, that is God's heart. God died for all, so that all could choose him. It is God's heart when we feel that way. Inclusionism is finding a way to try to make the Bible say that. They say if you're, you're saved, but you're not completely saved, so when you actually die, you actually go to this place called hell, where the fire of God is wonderful, and you stay there until you're purified, and then you really go to heaven. And like, uh, isn't that purgatory? <laughs> I don't see that in scripture. There's only one judgment for us. We die and then the judgment. God says, yes, you are sheep, you are coming with me. You are goats, sorry. <laughs> we have to choose. We don't just to get to wake up and be something somebody else tells us we are. With inclusionism, no man has the freedom to choose God for himself. None. Inclusionism says God just takes everybody for his own without their permission. But that's not what we see repeatedly in Scripture. God has always honored man's freedom to choose. If God wanted to nip it in the bud, he could have told Adam, sorry, you ate of the tree, dead, dead. Sorry, we're not doing this. <laughs> or he could have started over. <laughs> he could have started over back then, but he said, no. God so loves us and values us that he gives us a choice. You see, you don't give people you don't love a choice. You tell them how it's going to be. <laughs> That's not who God is. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 13, it says this. And on that very day, Noah and his sons, together with his wife and the wives of his three children, entered the ark. Only Noah and his family chose to enter the ark. You see, our Reformed theology brethren would like for God to pick them all up, the ones he likes, and shove them in the ark. <laughs> These get to be saved, and those don't get to be saved. I'm not choosing you. That's not what God does. God says, no, you choose. People didn't get in the ark because they didn't believe what was preached to them, that there was a God who so loved them that he had provided a way of escape. The ark is a type and shadow of Christ. He says, you all can come into Christ. All you got to do is believe and receive. No one believed what Noah preached. No one else put their faith in the gospel of grace presented that day, over those hundred years, actually. Safety was freely offered, yet everyone else chose to refuse it. And God didn't scoop them up and force them into the ark. <laughs> God honors our choices. 
John 3, 16 through 19. For God so loved the whole world, he really did die for the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. I don't know how they can say everybody's saved. Jesus clearly says there are those who believe and are saved and those who don't and won't and won't be saved. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Every man gets light. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus himself preached he that believeth not is condemned already. They did not want to come into the light. They loved their darkness. And the truth is, we get to choose, and we usually choose, what we love. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth, <laughs> he that hearkeneth attentively to my word, and believe on him that sent me, hath, present tense, everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is already passed from death into life jesus is life paul says in romans chapter 1 verse 16 for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god unto salvation to everyone that believeth <laughs> to jew first and then to the greek ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.2 And unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Scripture is so very, very clear. We must believe and choose to place our faith in the finished work of the cross. Yes, it is provided for us completely free through his absolutely free loving kindness. But we must choose. We must mix our faith with the truth of the gospel as it appears in scripture, not as we would like it to be. That's what inclusionism is doing. They say, we would like it to be this way and we can slant enough stuff to make it sound like that's the truth. Some of the doctrines of sovereign grace tell us that humans don't actually choose Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God chooses salvation for them and then causes it to happen by giving them the faith they need to receive Christ. But doesn't tell them who is actually chosen until they get to heaven. <laughs> so the best they can do is continually hope that they really are the ones who have been chosen. This idea of sovereignty does so much damage. There is this woman whose child was in the next room from her. She was in the kitchen making dinner, and this little one got tangled up in one of those Venetian blind cords. And the baby almost died. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit said, hey, go check on your baby. And she's like, I'm busy, I'm busy. And God just kept after her, no, go check the baby, go check the baby, go check the baby. She's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> baby was strangling in a Venetian cord. Well, this caused a lot of trauma because she had been taught God is sovereign and God did that to your baby. God did that for your benefit. How do you trust a God who would kill your baby as supposedly being good for you? We don't see that in Scripture. But so many of our Reformed theology brethren have this kind of experience where they're told, you must have done something bad. God's judging you. Wait, <laughs> what about grace? <laughs> you can find good in all of these theories. Is God sovereign? Yes. But does God do that? No. Inclusionism. Would God like everyone to be saved? Yes, that's why he died for everyone. There is truth in that. There is free grace. However, they go beyond what is written. 
God says we must choose. The doctrines of inclusion tell us that God has not only chosen everybody to be saved, but has, in fact, already saved them, even if they don't know it, and even if they don't want it. Some teach that once we wake up to the righteousness we actually already have inside, then faith comes and we can enjoy and rejoice in having what we didn't know we had. (laughs) Both of these doctrines of grace, sovereign grace and inclusionism, take away the ability for a human being to make their own decision to choose to receive our Father's precious gift of unconditional love and amazing grace. Love doesn't take someone against their will or without their consent. Love gives, love offers, love promises, love wants what's best for us, but love knows that real love doesn't force itself on someone they value. God values us. God so values us that he doesn't force himself on us. Instead, through the Holy Spirit, he woos us. He draws us to himself through his goodness and his kindness. And then he waits for us to choose him. Our Father, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, has provided salvation for whosoever will believe in his great kindness and love. Salvation is given to us freely by his grace. And I believe that within the doctrines of free grace, we find the best pictures of who our Father really is and how much he really loves us and how much he values us as his children. It's easy for our faith to find its rest in his unconditional love and his absolutely free grace. So if you go looking for more of this free grace on television or the internet, take care to listen carefully. Not all doctrines of grace reveal our Father's true heart of free grace. This free grace is called radical grace, hyper grace living grace, triumphant grace, and true grace. But what it does, it honors us by giving us the ability to choose love. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Father God, that you give us eyes to see, according to Scripture, what is true, not just what we would like to be true. Father God, you always call everyone to your word. That is how we know who you are, is by the the written word that you have given us. This is the plumb line, your word, whereby we can know you in truth. We thank you that the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us into all truth. So, Father God, I do pray that you open the eyes of our brothers in Christ who may be stuck believing things that are not true. Father God, so that they would know just how free and just how great and just how loving and just how kind you really are, that they would find that they could not find a place where they could be afraid of you, that they would know the safety of your free grace. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.